Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How is it going, Matt? Can you hear me from all the way in Brooklyn, New York? Well, if I listen carefully, I can just make you out. But Matt, it's three weeks since the season ended and people still definitely care about F1. So I suggest we crack on. Yes. Well, we have all sorts of important finishing up and wrapping up activities for our giant game of awesomeness. Oh, that's right. So we're going to complete the board today. So don't worry. We will recap the first two shows to recap where the teams are provisionally on the board of awesomeness. And we've got four teams left to argue over and uh, it's going to be represented each by one panelist i'm the judge and jury but before we get onto that i have to tell you we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first i'm also joined by shopping mall elf turned vln champion and nordschleifer specialist bradley philpot how's it going brad it's going really well i've had a great weekend thanks Bennett. and happy birthday not quite yet don't make me older than my years just yet. Would you say you look about your age or five years older than your age? Apparently five years older than my age. But um, yeah, anyone who's watching the video can give me their opinion on how old they think I actually am. Yes, please, please help with this middle-aged man's deep insecurities. We're also joined by the very arty, soulful, and I'd say edgy Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Hey, yeah, very well, thanks. bit tired. It's been a weekend of work dues, so... Yep, one hangover to the next. Wow, and I just want to say that that body hair is a treat for everyone on the live stream. Well, thank you very much. I love it. It's very cool. Let's talk about the season and stuff. Okay, now it's time for me to give you my season in 60 seconds. No, that's Matt's job, and he will do that later. Don't worry, Matt, I won't forget. There's no need to aggressively wave pieces of paper at me. First of all, we're going to review the provisional, colossally magnificent awesomeness 
chart or whatever it is we chose to call it. So here are the positions so far. In first place, we let Nick put Ferrari at number one. I have had a massive change of heart. So we're going to have some arguments over that, I think. Two is blank. Three is Haas. Four is Force India Stroll Point. Five is Red Bull, from which we've had some very, very angry feedback, Matt. Yes, indeed. No, finish up and then I have a comment. Oh, okay. Six, seven and eight are still blank and up for grabs. And Toro Rosso are in ninth and Renault is 10th. And I'm determined they're going to stay there. And the teams we have left are Mercedes, Sauber, Williams and McLaren. So it's a little bit different since you put me in charge of uh, compiling the information. Um, Our video editor, Steve, had left Haas in fourth place and then put Red Bull fifth and Force India sixth. But I chose to go differently. I left Force India fourth, Red Bull fifth, and I moved Haas up to third. So there's a slight discrepancy there, just so you know. Okay, why isn't it just in the positions we put them in the show? Uh, Because he chose how to add the teams behind on his own. Uh But it's my game. So I chose to do it differently. Oh, look at that office politics in Mist Apex Towers, you see. It's all fun and happiness in the shed. But when we go back to HQ, it's pure Game of Thrones style executive power struggles. All right, then. So the rules, Matt. How are we grading these teams when we place them on the board of awesome, magnificent uh, coolness? Yes. Well, the magical rules are... The first thing you want to do is pretty much chuck out your constructor's finish, unless you don't want to chuck out your constructor's finish. And you want to make the correct argument for why you think your team was awesome or not awesome at all, depending upon how you personally felt about said team. Okay. And also, let's let's say that the guys do get choice over which teams they pick, but occasionally people have been given teams that they really don't like, but have just you know, made that kind of devil's advocate. So there's no need to attack Kyle personally for his F1 opinions or his Renault opinions. If you're going to attack him, attack his very strangely gothic beard and the fact that he definitely writes in a journal, I assume. All right, let's crack on, actually. Let's crack on with Kyle Power. Kyle, you, by the way, are a racy race mm-hmm. driver as well. It's not just all about Philpot. You're, you're a go-karter in your own right and you drive things. Oh, indeed, yeah. I've had a I've had a few battles with Brad. One quite massive one this year. Uh, it was quite fun. It was probably more fun for the spectators than it was myself. But yeah, no, it was good. Brad, did bad. you Brad? Did you spank him? I spanked him physically out of the way, potentially. Maybe <laughs> you could say that. It's the, all good. The mask of Phil Part as being this clean gentleman racer has has fully slipped this year. That you get to the final, it all goes out the window, doesn't it? All right then, Kyle, why don't you give us your defence of Sauber and tell us where you want them to be on the awesome board of Magnificent. Uh, Let's start off with a little bit about the drivers. Okay then, well, Sauber, yeah, the drivers, um, it's very one-sided and clear-cut this year, even more so than Renault last week. It was, um, so in quali, to start with qualifying, it was 17-4 to Leclerc, um, with an average gap of 0.51 seconds, which was the largest time gap between teammates. So that was a pretty comprehensive spanking of Ericsson. Um, and Leclerc actually got through to Q3 on eight occasions, which is extremely good, versus Ericsson only three. But let's face it, Sauber's into Q3 was not something you would have believed last year. So that's a good improvement from them. Um, in the races, it was overall, it was 13-7 to Leclerc on races they actually finished. 
but in, in races well, where they're classified, but in races they both actually finished, it was nine three to Leclerc. So it was a uh, it was quite strong. But obviously Leclerc being a debutant, um Ericsson should have really got on top of him in the first half of the season. And that was the first case for the first three races, really. Um, Ericsson retired from Australia, but he beat Leclerc in the first two races where they both finished, which is Bahrain and China. But then once Leclerc found his feet with his sixth place at Baku, he just absolutely annihilated Ericsson. He proceeded to beat him in just about every other race they both finished, apart from Germany, uh, which is where he had his little clangor of the season. So it was 9-3 in terms of races both finished. So... And also Leclerc just got stronger throughout the season. He Once he got on top of Ericsson, he was faster. He was putting in better race finishes. And he finished the season with the trio of seventh places, which was excellent. And he was in Q3 for the last four races, I believe, which is which is awesome. Um, so going on to their best finishes, Leclerc had a best of sixth in Baku and then several seventh places where Ericsson could only muster um, a trio of ninths at Bahrain, Hockenheim and Mexico. And his probably the highlight of Ericsson's season, which is not much to shout about, was a double points finish in Austin and Mexico. Kyle, uh, let's linger a little bit on the drivers because there okay. are two possibilities here. I don't want to quash anybody's uh, fantasies or hopes that Leclerc is this amazing new driver that's come through, that's burst on the scenes and then uh, and then is joining Ferrari in this absolutely dream ticket. However, there is another possibility could we just have massively underestimated just how slow Marcus Ericsson is compared to top flight F1 drivers? And that pattern you described would perfectly suit a rookie driver who is good coming in, finding his feet, being beaten or being matched by his more experienced teammate, then finding his feet, coming up to a level that is more like a real F1 driver and then, and then really scoring an open goal. You've still got to score the open goals. But Ericsson provides that. No, um, I think it was more a case of Leclerc being exceptional in his debut season rather than Ericsson being being subpar. Um, Fred Vasseur himself from um, from Salva said it was Ericsson improved leaps and bounds, and Ericsson Ericsson admitted that himself. Don't know where he was in the first place, but yeah, um, I think Leclerc outperformed Ericsson more than Ericsson underperformed. Phil Pot, come on, be on my side. We know that Ericsson is finally departing F1 and he is getting in the sea all the way over to America land. It's over for Marcus Ericsson. Uh, has he flattered Leclerc? I don't know. Um, I've never been quite as against Ericsson as you have. Um, and he's always had this height argument that he's brought up that he's, you know, he's, he's having to run heavier or not, uh, not getting to use as much ballast, movable ballast as his teammates. I don't know. I really don't know with Ericsson. I think we'll get a great handle on him this coming season in IndyCar to be able to rate him a bit more accurately. But I tend to side with Kyle here. I think the clerk was just uh, exceptional. Yeah, I would be willing to go with it was more Leclerc being exceptional. But I will point out uh, is an interesting sidelight. Certainly in the junior categories, Ericsson had some pretty good achievements. Uh, but mostly, we don't know behind the scenes how much extra effort went into enabling Leclerc to be that exceptional because behind the scenes there's always a scale and you're never sure where the team sponsors and the team management is placing their thumb on that scale and so I I would bring it up as more along the lines of it just makes it harder to fairly evaluate Ericsson's performance because we don't know all the behind the scenes drama that was going on. 
And this is what I love about the slow progression of watching F1 over the course of not just a race or a season, uh, not even a decade, but over a lifetime of F1 viewing, because you get to kind of put these things in in ratio with each other. So although people will argue it's not a fair comparison, you can do things like, say, that Verstappen's better than Vettel because he, uh, he beat Ricciardo and Ricciardo beat Vettel. And people will say, no, that's too simplistic. However... It, it is the, the only measure we have on a lot of occasions. So I think trumpets, we're going to see, aren't we, very quickly with Leclerc, how he fares against Vettel straight away, uh, how he fares against him mid-season. And then we can retrospectively look back on this driver battle. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think that's going to be a very interesting three-way comparison when all is said and done at the conclusion of next season. All right, Kyle, let's uh, talk about the team's performance Uh, as a team itself so one thing's for sure they had two drivers who could both turn a wheel who were both proper formula one drivers they weren't handicapped by some other teams that might come up later in this podcast no no um i actually thought they were one of the mini success stories of the year really salva um it was brilliant for them to bring the um the alfa romeo name back into formula one and uh and there was usual alpha jokes at the start of the season. They'll be breaking down more than they'll be racing. But they were pretty reliable, actually. They only had five technical retirements. Uh, that's less than my Alfa Romeo has done this year. Um, yeah, so I thought they were pretty good on that sense. And again, Wait a minute. So, hang on. Sorry, Kyle. Do you, do you have an Alfa Romeo? I do indeed. What's your backup car? Um, my girlfriend's Peugeot 308. <laughs> but you acknowledge that you need one. I love Alphas, but yeah. Having an Alfa Romeo does mean sometimes not having a car. But yeah, anyway, sorry, please continue. That's right. At least I break down in style. Exactly. You look good on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so they had a huge improvement from 2017 where they were last in the constructors with only five points. Uh, this season, they were eighth with 48 points. And surely that puts them as a candidate for most improved. Um, I've got some stats about some um, prospective budgets that they may have had. Stats. So in 2017, they may have only had 90 million euros but with the cash injection from Alfa Romeo or Ferrari should you say veiled under the Fiat group uh, they went up to 135 million which is the same as Williams so um and they put that to good use they were getting into Q3 which they weren't do before and of course they were coupled with the mighty 2018 Ferrari power unit so I think for expectations I think they actually exceeded their expectations It'd be interesting to to try and work out how much of that we think is the improvement in power unit. Because if a lot of Ferrari catching Mercedes was power unit, then obviously we have to kind of translate that down to Haas and um, and Sauber as well. Oh, I think it's huge because in 2017, they had the um, 2016 Ferrari power unit. I believe they had a year old. So they've jumped two steps. And I think that's added all of the performance. Uh, what about reliability then? As a, as a team, when it came to keeping that car on the road, Okay, yeah, they were good. As I mentioned, there was only five technical retirements. Um, we had a few crashes. Obviously, Ericsson had his turn one Silverstone whoopsie, and um, and Leclerc had three crashes. So, yeah, they weren't flawless, but but the reliability was solid. All right, it's crunch time, Kyle. You are representing Sauber, and as we know, you would only ever represent a team that you passionately believe in bit disappointed you're not wearing a Sauber shirt like you wore a Renault shirt who has a Renault shirt (laughs) last week all right tell us where you think Sauber should go on the magnificent board of awesomeness okay I think they should be a very solid seventh no lower than seventh I don't think and um I well the major point is if they've brung the Alfa and the Alfa Romeo name back into F1 
Um, they've facilitated the rise of Leclerc, which could be massively influential for our sport because I think he is one of the future stars. He is the real deal. Um, Ericsson has left, which you'll probably be quite happy about. And uh, also they're giving Raikkonen the opportunity to carry on in F1 next year. So I think that's a big win and the warm, fuzzy feeling award for me goes to Sauber. Uh, the point I wanted to make uh, was that is, is it possible that we're talking about Leclerc being such a great driver that, that potentially he is flattered Sauber a little bit? I mean, yes, they have a very good driver, but maybe they've really been shown, maybe they looked better than they actually were, which, if I'm remembering correctly, is an alpha trademark. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 10 points for trumpets there. I think that, uh, I think that he may have knocked you down a place, uh, Kyle. So you're going to have to come back with something here. No, 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 no. They've, they're up there on the best livery as well. Obviously not as good as Renault, but beautiful Alfa Romeo livery. That's, that's gorgeous. Um, Ericsson managed to score points, score points in the car, albeit not many, but, um, yeah, and they facilitated the rise of Leclerc. I can't say more than that. They've had a stunning season from being the constant backmarkers to being sometimes a very strong team in the midfield and breaking into key three. Actually, I can't see how they can be lower than seventh. It is worth remembering how bad they were before. I think you, you've, you've, you've got a good point there. Um, remind me, though, was it Verline last season partnering Ericsson? Yes, it was. And he was the only one who scored points, actually. See, so I don't, I don't think Matt's point about having a great driver in there flattering them is terrible either. I would say that that is a, a dodgy, tenuous seven. But at the moment, Sauber are seventh. All right. Well, let's move on then to this year's world champion constructors. Matt Trumpet, you have taken it upon yourself to defend Mercedes and place them on our Miss Apex magnificent board of boredness, Bordy McBoardface. Where do you want to put them? In fact, no, we're skipping ahead. Tell us a little bit about how that season went. Well, you know, following our format, I will start indeed with the teammate battles. And you would think for all the world that this is a very straightforward thing. I mean, after all, Hamilton 15-6 qualifying. The average gap, though, was 0.171 seconds for the season. 18 to 3 races, yeah, that does look kind of bad because, again, won by Hamilton. And if we go into the start-finish positions, Hamilton started an average of 2.71, finished 1.95. Botas, on the other hand, 4.14 to 3.89. They were almost tied on points after China, though, and Botas did have two pole positions and did give up potentially a win to Hamilton in, uh, I believe it was Russia. The end of the season, 408, 247, Hamilton. As far as my expectations for the team go, well, it was Mercedes. You tend to expect them to win, and they did with 655 championship points. Botas was only fifth, though. Um, And perhaps the best thing you could say for Mercedes is across the whole season, they had only two retirements. Um... If we look at Ferrari, though, and this is where the teams get interesting. Ferrari was 320 to 249 Vettel. So we had a much smaller gap between the uh, teammates. Um, they only had Mercedes three wins in their first 10 races, just Baku, Spain, and France. It really, they had their great stretch from Monza to Japan. But mostly, I think they won because Hamilton was less bad than Vettel. In other words, his lows were were higher than Vettel's lows, if that makes any sense. 
Uh, it's interesting, the teammate battle, though. I'd love Brad to weigh in because lots of people are quick to defend Bartas and talk about the wins he had to give up. But it's very hard to escape from the kind of Occam's razor conclusion that really he did just get rinsed by Hamilton and the golf is starting to be fully exposed now. I I agree. I think Hamilton is clearly better and he's clearly better than almost everyone, probably maybe even everyone on the planet, uh, especially driving a Formula One car. But I think the the gap to Bottas is a bit unfair on Bottas because we're in a period now where Mercedes are still at the front. They've come from a period where they were dominant and Hamilton's previous teammate was quite lucky that they had a dominant enough car that he could have an off day and still come second. And so people wouldn't think, oh, look at Rosberg finishing down in fifth, sixth. He's miles away from Hamilton in the points. That didn't happen because the car was good enough that he could get away with it. Whereas Bottas can't escape the fact that there are teams close enough to slot in between him and Hamilton. Yeah. So I feel bad for him that he's he's kind of painted in this, this particular light at the moment where he looks hopeless compared yeah. to Hamilton. But Bottas said when asked what the difference was between him and Hamilton, he said it's the consistency. Like Hamilton is consistently good. Now you could take that as meaning corner to corner, lap to lap, or you could take that to mean race to race. So the point you're making about Rosberg is quite poignant, which is that Hamilton's consistency wasn't rewarded or more pertinently Rosberg's lack of consistency was not punished yeah uh, exactly and basically uh, Rosberg just had a little bit of extra time to to be alongside Hamilton in that period as well it wasn't until I think the third year of them being teammates before he even started getting on top of Hamilton occasionally whereas Bottas has still had less time than that Um, we're already writing him off Right. Well, this this actually intrigued me sort of looking at especially when I saw they just won three races out of the first 10, uh, especially compared to last year. It made me want to go back and look. So, of course, that's exactly what I did. And what I discovered was last year, uh, Mercedes won six of the first 10 races. Um, the points were 363 to 305 in favor of Hamilton. So they scored slightly more points last year. Um, they did match the longest winless streak at three, but that was at the end of the season. Up until then, the longest stretch they went without winning a race was one race. So they would win however many, they would lose one race, and then they would immediately win the next race. In 2018, they lost uh, the first three races. And then if they, if they didn't win, it was two races before they won again. And as you look at the points, you can see that it was really Hamilton pretty much winning both championships for them. But to me, that argues that there was a fundamental problem at that team, because if you look at last season, it was much, much closer. Ferrari were still a threat, so you can't say that there was no one to slot in between them. I think Mercedes was really kind of up against the wall all season long from a technical point of view, and that they really were forced to throw all the marbles in Hamilton's corner to get him across the line. I mean, that's that's not ridiculous, is it, Kyle? If you're really in a title fight, you do have to pick your best driver. No, absolutely. And I think that was pretty, I think it was Baku really that undid Bottas. And yeah, like Bradley, I feel, I feel for him because if it, if that hadn't happened at Baku, he would have been leading the points and then Mercedes would have had to make the decision of who to back. And it, and, and it could have been Bottas, but also on Bottas's performance, um, I think Hamilton has risen to new levels this year. I don't think Hamilton, Rosberg had to deal with Hamilton on on this form. So I think it all just compounds to make Bottas look worse than he actually is. 
I would actually completely agree with that. And, and the other thing that I wanted to bring up that that uh, that gets overlooked easily is aside from Botas having to make way for Hamilton when it, it probably would have been a win for him in Russia is the win in Brazil, which did help them out in terms of their their winning and losing streaks was really only a win because, well, Verstappen Verstappen himself at the end of the race. Otherwise, that was not going to be a win for Mercedes. So it was a far from dominant showing from them. I think they really robbed Botas to pay Hamilton to make sure he won the championship. And that, uh, much like we saw when the McLaren tried to develop the, their car to help button out, and it wound up not helping Hamilton and it or button for that matter, or at least that was his storyline was at 2012, I believe. I think, I think, I think Mercedes were forced to make some very, very difficult decisions that made Botas look worse than he actually was. But did he bring Will Smith? It's a complete package, Matt. If you don't bring Hamilton consistently, he brings the Biebers. He brings that girl off of Stranger Things and he brings uh, Will Smith. So you can't you can't argue with that too much. So uh, let's uh, let's not write Bottas off then. He's got a contract for another year. He's certainly got the incentive, Brad, hasn't he? Because if Ocon is there in that simulator, week in, week out, going, oh look, I'm a little bit faster than Bottas. Yeah, I. Regardless of everything we've just said about you know supporting Bottas, I still think <laughs> you can't hide from the fact that Hamilton is clearly a lot better. And from Mercedes' point of view, they do have a driver who maybe is slightly better than that. You know, even if they don't think Ocon is as good as Hamilton, maybe they, they think he's closer. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I haven't seen the same. Uh, I haven't been as amazed by Ocon as other people seem to have been, though. I haven't seen anything particularly spectacular from him. But yeah, Bottas definitely has some um, impetus to, to push hard for the next few months. Well, do you know what? There's nothing like an incentive. You see it with football teams all the time. People are nice and comfortable, even in a team that's doing badly and flying towards relegation. When they suddenly sack the manager and you look around and the player's like, oh, I haven't got this comfortable spot now. You know, do you know what I mean, Trumpets? And you see teams suddenly with no manager flying up the table because everybody's worried about their job. Uh, yeah, it's a very funny thing. Over here, I think they did a study of baseball. And they, they, the statistics for players in their final year of a contract when they could be traded or go to a new team improve magnificently in that season where they, they, they really need to show themselves at their best. And when they sign that huge contract, it's the exact opposite. It, they tend to slump a little bit now that they have security. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is, it is a human thing. I would agree. You only have to look at the quality of my weekly radio show to see when my contract gets renewed. All right. Let's ah. talk about the team as a whole. Um, are we giving Mercedes credit? for rising to the challenge or are we doing them down for allowing that gap to shrink to Ferrari? Ah, this, I, I, I have not made up my mind yet. This is such a tough because it really all depends on how you look at it. If you look at what you would expect Mercedes to do, we would expect them to win. No one has really come close to shoving them off their pedestal. But they barely won. They had to basically throw Botas under the bus to, to barely <laughs> win. Their statistics were nowhere near last year's. There were several races where they just looked very, they looked third fastest. So if you're going by that, I mean, I would put them ahead of Red Bull, but only just barely. So I, you know, average at best, that would be five. On the other hand, if you say 
well, they clearly had a problem. They rose to the challenge. And unlike Ferrari, they got the job done. Well, then now you're making the argument that perhaps they should be first. And ah, I'm, I'm still struggling a little bit with it, you know, which a perspective to adopt here. You're arguing with yourself. Let's have Kyle argue with you instead. Yeah, um, I think Mercedes deserve to be first, personally. I mean, Ferrari in the in the summer, in the middle of the year, they had the best car. It was it was pretty obvious, particularly with their power units on the straights and what they're doing with their ERS. It's very good. And yeah, Mercedes, arguably, it, it was Hamilton that dragged them to it, but they still delivered and they won the championship, which I think Ferrari probably had the best car. Do you know why I want to put Mercedes above Ferrari? And I'm sure people will scream at me for being biased, but I think we get a, a decent enough insight into the inner workings and philosophies of both those teams. And I can't help but feel that is the difference. So obviously we're looking at it from the outside and someone can tell me if I'm wrong, but you get the feeling that at Ferrari, if you drop a cup, somebody will yell at you, scream at you, call you stupid for dropping the cup, telling you how you'd wasted the coffee. Whereas in Mercedes, somebody would assign someone to clean it up. You would be trained on how to hold the cup better. There would be a mop that would spill it up and then the cup would be replaced. Carl, that is the feeling I get from the outside. Yeah, their management style is very transparent and and open, and it's a breath of breath of fresh air. Really, they'll blame their drivers when they need to be blamed, and and also I like I like their access for the like on the social media and the access to give the fans. They did a pure pit wall thing, which is very good access. Well, and they're very open. They do loads of little features on YouTube, and plus, um, like Ferrari, just don't do that. They're very closed unit. Trumpets. Do you have uh, any further defence before you assign Mercedes a place on the board? Yeah, I would say that if Ferrari had the best car, given how far away they were, I don't think that means you can knock them off spot number one. Also, Raikkonen won a race. And that means in terms of awesomeness, in terms of awesomeness, that just has got to be there. Raikkonen won a race, Botas didn't. To me, there you go. So second is going to be the best for me for Mercedes. Absolutely. But uh, I still have a thing with the midfield teams, you know, with the efficiency, with the pure racing aspect of it, where I, I, I'm not sure that any of the sharp end should be higher than, you know, third or fourth. But clearly that's been uh, clearly our judge has ruled <laughs> otherwise. So given my frame of reference, I would go Mercedes second this year, but with an honorable mention because of their corporate culture. Well, we're going to have a final dogfight towards the end of this show, but I'm quite happy to put Mercedes in provisional second place for now. So don't panic, everyone, for now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We now move over to the bravest member of our team, Brad, with zero body fat and out in your, your garage studio, I've had to send you a message saying, please turn your fan, your, your heating fan off. And I can see you gibbering away. Your sacrifice is well noted, Brad. I'm glad. I'm, I'm going to try not to shiver too much uh, in my defense of my team. Is, is it because you're a racing driver that you have to have no body fat so you can be tiny and fly around in your car? Um, maybe it's, it's just um, so that I feel better. So I feel like I'm ready. You feel it, it doesn't fast. actually doesn't actually make that much difference in my kind of racing but it's good to be fit isn't it well i want to ask you about that kind of racing because obviously you've had a phenomenal season this season you had uh, quite a quite a dodgy start to your vln series uh, but then you ended up being champions yeah we had a good end to the season um uh, i'm sure a lot of people here already know about it but yeah we we didn't finish a lot of the first races not through uh, anyone's particular fault, just some real bad luck. Um, and then we won a load of races at the end, which was enough to win. So it was it was a good end, nice little championship ceremony and that kind of thing. So there's a couple of things I want you to plug. A, are you allowed to tell us anything about what you're doing next season or tell us when you'll be able to tell us? And secondly, oh. tell us about your BRKC coming up as well. Okay, so for next season, I can't confirm anything because I don't have any confirmation of anything, but it's... Uh, Looking very hopeful that we'll um, be moving on to faster and more prestigious things um, in the VLN series. Um, I'm in the I'm in the VLN series at the Nurburgring for the long term. Um, So watch this space, and I'm sure next time I'm on, if anything's changed, I'll be able to let you know all about it. But it's nice and exciting for me. And in terms of BRKC, the British Rental Car Championship, uh, it's coming around quickly. I was actually practicing today. (laughs) Um, at Formula Fast Circuit, uh, doing my first test session of the year. Cheat! But that's your championship. You run that as well as racing in it. Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I'm the founder. Uh, I don't really run it data. There isn't really much running to do. It's so it's quite self. Um, it looks after itself now with Formula Fast doing a great job of actually operating the event. So it allows me to to kind of be there to answer questions occasionally, but generally I'm, I'm just a driver once the weekend starts in that. So that's coming around uh, third weekend in January. I heard you've um, got a handsome co-commentator secured for that as well. 
Yes, um, we've got Spanners ready coming down to be pit lane correspondent again after his successful debut year. Uh, this year. See, Joe, um, so. not all pit lane correspondents are attractive. There you go. In your face, Saywood. That, that poo-poo's that argument. Uh, but Brad, where can people keep up with you and get all this information? Oh, just follow me at Bradley Philpot on Twitter um, or check out my Facebook page, um, which is Bradley Philpot Motorsport. Yeah, or on YouTube, he is BradDude16 still. Uh, 2k but yeah uh, just search bradley philpot and in terms of brkc stuff the entries sold out a long time ago we opened the entries back in august as limited to 100 places and we sold out within three hours but there is a a reserve list it's pretty long now it's about 55 people in the reserves but uh, and more being added every day but just go to um, brkc.co.uk to check that out you need to up the price yeah, that's what you need to do. On an unrelated note, look out for Miss Apex podcast karting uh, slots opening up soon as well with massively increased prices. No, I'm only kidding. I'm trying to keep it down as much as I can. You are here, though, Bradley, to defend and place on the board McLaren. And you know why you've been given this team, don't you, Mr. Philpot? Let's go back in time in our magical time machine where you had a sneaking suspicion that McLaren and Alonso were going to win the 2018 World Championships. So cue the magical memory music that takes us back in time. Um, I remember being at work at a test track back in January or February or whenever it was. And I was messaging you on WhatsApp saying, look, Spanners, look, see, I told you they're going to be great this year. I actually think Alonso might win this championship. And I was all optimistic. And I was and I was actually vindicated when we got round to Melbourne, because at the first race, we had McLaren's finishing in fifth and ninth, which based on a retirement and a 13th at Melbourne the previous year, was quite a dramatic improvement. So up to Melbourne, I was kind of right, wasn't I? <laughs> you were medium right for the briefest amount of time, but still not really. So how how has the, the teammate battle uh, uh, unfolded at McLaren? So they had uh, Alonso, of course, uh, who said, this is a yog. Thank you, chat room, for that one. And uh, a young buck in the form of Stoffel van Dorn. How did that go? Stoffel van Dorn, who was described to me as the best driver in the world before he was well known um, by people around the world in Formula One. And I had a lot of faith in Stoffel um, this year. I thought after having a, a kind of a rookie season where he did reasonably well, I thought this was going to be the time he'd take the challenge to Alonso. And he didn't really, did he? It was a little bit of a one-sided 21-0 qualifying battle. Um, although... We need to point out, I've been trying to find out the exact figure with Matt, who might want to interject. Um, I want to point out that he hasn't been that bad compared to Alonso uh, against previous teammates. So although it was almost a 0.4 second average gap between Van Dorn and Alonso this season, he actually has been around third or fourth closest of Alonso's teammates over the years. And and if you'd allow me to just pull up a couple of figures of some previous yeah, teammates, or, or, or maybe I don't need to be that specific. He was he was closer to Alonso than Massa was in in a season together. He was closer than Raikkonen was. These are people who we consider to be really decent drivers. It wasn't as bad as it looked, but the twenty one nil figure is what makes it look really bad, doesn't it? It looks really bad, trumpets. Yeah, basically, Van Dorn Van didn't is what we're getting down to. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a 0.392 gap, um, wasn't it? Was between the two. So that's probably not the the great, the best start to my McLaren defence. 
Um, and the driver who was really good is obviously leaving and was quite publicly leaving as we knew towards the end of the season. So, um, so that doesn't look brilliant, but I'm going to try and paint them in a slightly better light. If you'll allow me to do so, go ahead um, and try and defend them. Okay. So you had a team that for several years had been trying to cope with this Honda engine, which wasn't very good. It was actually very bad. And people are going to start shouting out, hang on. McLaren said they had the best chassis and they said that the Renault move was going to change everything. Well, a brief cursory glance at the previous season. So after, was it three or four years of working with Honda, they ended up with 30 points at the end of the championship. Mm. Whereas this year, they over doubled that to 62. So straight away, they've had a giant upturn in form. Um, they had around 12 or 13 retirements in 2017. That was down to eight this year. So the Honda engine was demonstrably worse than the Renault engine they moved to this year. So I think for a, for a starter, they made a good decision in that area. Go for it, Spanners. Engines, that is a good thing to bring up. However, just going to say hello to the chat room. If you want to join this live chat, you just go to YouTube and search Missed Apex Podcast. And if you do it on your phone, you can have our lovely faces at the top with Brad in his hat shivering away. And you can have the live chat room scrolling underneath it. So hello to the live chat room. Uh, Ian Caldwell says... I, I expect the car was built slash set up for Alonso. And Sam Watley says, 21-0 doesn't look really bad. It is really bad. Uh, let's uh, just analyse that uh, that engine thing for a little while, Brad. Yes, they had a, a really low patch with Honda, but they also had very low patches even before the hybrid engine came in. So from 2013 onwards, and then they had the best engine on the grid by far, and they weren't even the second best Mercedes team. And now they have a Renault. They're the worst Renault team as well. So we can't put all of Mercedes' woes down to the engine. You can say they're slightly less bad, but is this not a team that could have won the world championship only six years ago? They are still in the middle of one of the biggest falls from grace in Formula One history, aren't they? I would say that they are. Uh, they've just finished a transition year um, with a significant upturn in form and lots of uh, improved results over the previous year. So I wouldn't say they're in the middle of a, a slump. I'd say they had a very difficult period with a very poor, unreliable and slow engine for several years. Um, and they've finally got an engine which is reasonably competitive but is still one of the worst engines and they've managed to begin the process of rebuilding so that's where i'd start but i've got a bit more to defend them with once i've yeah, got someone sure. else to talk yeah no but i mean kyle there is a renault engine in third place in the championship yeah indeed and well the, the start of mclaren's downfall was back in 2012 and they finished with the fastest car in the season pretty much but then instead of developing that and having an evolution they had a typical mclaren radical redesign pull rod front suspension and that's where their downfall started and then when the honda came in uh you kind of argue that mclaren compounded honda's misery by forcing this size zero concept putting the, the design restrictions on them and forcing them forcing them in a year earlier than they want to and then they portrayed themselves as the innocent victim in it so i don't that didn't wash with me from the outset and their, their admission this year that they said, yes, maybe we weren't the best chassis after all, kind of, I don't know, speaks volumes for me. Yeah, and you know, that that really rolls right into something that uh, Summers has said on past occasions, which is McLaren has a real tendency to, in American ease, swing for the bleachers. They'll bet everything on some massive, ridiculous development that almost never works and winds up costing them multiple races to sort out. And we can see it with 
with the suspension, we can see it with their choice. They could have stayed with Mercedes mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah. probably been finishing third or fourth in the championship every year throughout this whole set of regulations. But Ron Dennis is like, well, we'll never be first, so we should be last. Be last. <laughs> Yeah. Matt, what was that? What was that rear wing configuration that looked like the velo- the the dinosaur from Jurassic Park, where all his fins go out like that, and uh, and then he spits at the guy? Yeah, right. Um, that was I think it was back in 2014. The, the weird wing you're referring to was their blockers on the rear suspension when they put it up, and that never looked like an elegant aerodynamic solution. No, it? it looked like a parachute. If anything, oh, that was weird. Anyway, sorry. Uh, let's let's let Brad convince us a little bit more because you're putting up a gameful fight here but this is still this is one of the very top teams in formula one a, a team that i very much support but it's also a team that isn't poor everything should be going towards it being much more successful than it is and also let's not forget they've got fernando alonso who's not bad so i you know i appreciate all of your opinions and <laughs> <Uh-oh>. um <laughs> Uh, sorry, I just need to point out, it looks like the live stream's gone offline and died. Um, you know, I appreciate all of your opinions, uh, but I do feel, I get the impression that you're asking me to defend a previous McLaren, a McLaren of previous years. And I'm here to defend McLaren's season in 2018. And what I need to point out is, as I did a moment ago, they over doubled the points that they scored the previous year. They had a lot fewer retirements. And despite having a car which they found a fundamental aerodynamic problem with um, late on in the season, they still managed to get a lot of point scoring positions and finish in front of Williams, in front of Sauber, in front of Toro Rosso, and in front of Force India Racing Point, whatever you want to call it. Um, So, and don't say that it's only because they, Force India didn't get all their points counted because the rules are the rules and you can't break the rules. So, Anyway, so I want to try and paint just a bit more of a positive picture of McLaren's season, that's all. I don't think it's as bad as people make out. Yes, the car wasn't fantastic, um, but it wasn't fantastic because of a fundamental flaw that they seem to have now found. And they also had a pretty rubbish engine, or an engine which was so rubbish that Red Bull had tons of failures and have ditched it for the engine that McLaren thought was rubbish before. So, you know, they don't have a great power unit driving them forward, despite being, as you said, the worst team using that power unit. I just think that they've got a lot more rebuilding to do. And because of the financial um, clout that you've mentioned they have, I think that they can do it. I think they can move forward over the winter and and build on this year's improvement. There is a, a distinct lack of sponsorship on that McLaren. And also, I think they don't help themselves by the fact that they do the boxer thing. You know, when you have a cricket player and you say, how well do you think you're going to do in this event? They go, oh, well, you know, we're going to try our best. And it's a great so Boxers, you go, I am the greatest. I'm no matter. I'm going to strike down upon my opponent. And that is basically McLaren. They do. They are WWE wrestlers that hobble into the ring on a Zimmer frame. Absolutely. They make these massive um, predictions of grandeur. I remember Ron Dennis's prediction when they first, sorry to go back to the first season with Honda, but he was saying they'll be getting podiums by mid-season or the end of the season. It's um, it's crazy to think. But going back to what Brad said, um, again, it's whose fault is it that they've ended up with that engine? It's purely McLaren's fault. They could have stayed with Mercedes. They could have worked a bit harder with Honda. It was, I think they blinded a bit. 
I don't want to throw them under the bus too much, but they're blinded a bit by their own arrogance. I think they have amazing facilities. They have the fourth largest budget, according to my sort of stats here, and they're not poor of money. They've got a lot of investors. So the lack of sponsorship on the card doesn't really add up to the lack of lack of funding. Yeah, but I would say, you know, uh, we were quick to give Mercedes points for their culture uh, at the team and how when something goes wrong, instead of blaming people, they come together as a singular entity to solve the problem and institute a process to keep it from happening again. And I would have to say that if any team really represented Game of Thrones best, it would probably be backstage at McLaren, where we've seen um, Martin Whitmarsh, Ron Dennis, Zach Brown, and all of this while the um, there was fights going on in the background over team ownership and team and with team investors. And I think the power vacuum that resulted from that has seen just years of internecine warfare as people try and grab power for their own particular duchies and fiefdoms and amass grandeur for themselves. It's time. Brad has to defend himself ultimately on his McLaren defence and a, and a decent McLaren defence. I think uh, that's, this is one of the hardest defences uh, so far, apart from perhaps the final one. But Brad, where are you going to place Williams on the magnificent board of awesomeness. Uh, I'm going to place Williams last. Sorry, I'm going right. to place McLaren. Yes, I know. I was thinking ahead to the horror show that I've got to put on just after this. Uh, where are you going to put McLaren? I'm going to put McLaren seventh. Oh. And the reason it's seventh and it's not sixth in their constructed position is because, being honest, despite my defence, Force India Racing Point should have been in front of them. Wait and I think they... Yeah, so Sa- Sauber are seventh at the moment. So would you like them to go above Sauber, dislodging Sauber down, or would you like to put them above Sauber in sixth? I'd like to put them above Sauber. Oh, there we go. I'd like then. to put them above Sauber. Yeah, and and partly that's because uh, I'm biased and uh, I'm supposed to be defending them. But partly I think it's because <laughs> they had several seasons where they barely got any test running. They barely got any race running because the engine was so bad. It was, the Honda engine was awful. And you can say it's because of McLaren's size zero concept all you want, but I genuinely think the engine was just totally awful. And that meant they, they're on such a back foot coming into this season with a new engine, having such poor data from the previous three years that they had to have a slightly dodgy rebuilding year. And so, yeah, and with one driver miles off of the other, I think they're ahead of, I think they're ahead of Sauber. Yeah, but even this season in the pre-season testing, it was a bit shambolic for McLaren. I remember seeing a meme about their pit stop. They lost the wheel on like their first or second run and they still covered less laps than the new Honda in the Toro Rosso. So they were still that, you have to say, it indicates to McLaren problems rather than the engine problem. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Um, okay, it's not an easy task defending this team, <laughs> and I agree they had some they had some wobbles, uh, you know, like with the with the preseason pit stops, etc. But I think people have loved to jump on this bandwagon because McLaren were maybe they I don't even know if it was a real quote. I don't even know where the quote came from where they said we had the best chassis. But people have taken that one quote and gone to town with it and used it against them for over a year now, and I think. I think they are focused on more than is fair uh, as an arrogant team and any any small thing that goes wrong it's really 
picked upon. Um, I think if if they were more of a Sauber, they would have been able to quietly get along with the job in the background. Um, whereas I'm sure lots of bad things have also happened at Sauber that have just gone under the radar. Uh, Matt, before you get in, sorry, uh, Mira says meanly, Brad Pot, you've been drinking more than Joe on Wednesday night. Uh, Mark Greenhouse says, I'm fully team Phil Pot now, saying that you've done a great defence there. And Sam Watley says, uh, forward slash installing Lando Bot, forward slash reboot. That should fix everything. So, Brad, what is your defence of McLaren? You've got 20 seconds to lay it down before we put it up on the board of awesomeness. Okay, so despite an inherent fundamental aerodynamic flaw and a new engine supplier who they were getting used to, McLaren still ran third in the championship for the first few rounds. And for the rest of the year, they tried really hard, which is admirable. (laughs) I cannot allow that to go above Sauber's defence from Kyle earlier. So at the moment, at the moment, Brad, a a robust defence, but we are actually going to put them where you said originally, which is seventh. So there you go. So we've got Sauber sixth, and McLaren, seventh. Now we have one of the most spectacular Formula One teams to ever grace the grid. All right, we've got a team that, despite its lowly finishing position, I truly believe should be considered amongst the very top performances this season. I am, of course as if you needed me to tell you, talking about uh, Williams, Williams racing team. All right, so Williams, I'm going to tell you that I know it looked really, really bad. But here's why you have been fooled by the evidence of your own eyes and you should believe me instead. So first off, let's look at the the teammate battle. Sorokin just pipped Lance Stroll 12-8 with a gap of 0.066 on average. Now, this is one of the closest, most competitive driver pairings on the grid. Oh, God, this hurts. And in the races, Stroll won 12. <laughs> uh, sorry, won 9 to Sorokin's 12. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Lots and lots of stats. Here's why I think Williams... Oh, God, okay. Here's why I think Williams have succeeded... They made a plan and they stuck to it. The only way they didn't succeed is in the way we judge a Formula One team by their results and how they do in the races and how well they qualify and how they're able to take it to their similarly financed competitors. If, if you want to stick to those really narrow definitions of what makes a good Formula One team, then sure. Oh yeah, we can use words like disaster cluster yeah we can use things like that kyle yeah so you're saying their um their plan that they stuck to was to be the slowest car oh i'm getting to that kyle let's i've walked you into a trap there let's see what let's see if trumpets wants to join you in my net of illogic no 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 it's very clever clearly their plan was to do as poorly as possible thus having no expectations for the following year and taking everyone by surprise when they score a magnificent Eight points instead of the six or seven they scored this year. Williams sucked, didn't they? <laughs> they were rubbish. How dare you? I mean, they. I mean, I was just defending McLaren, and they had one of definitely one of the worst engines on the grid. Williams were rubbish, even with the best engine. Or okay, I know Ferrari was supposed to be super fast on the straights and everything, but you know, a Mercedes is pretty good. 
They were, Williams were just terrible. You are blind, sir. Trumpets? I think the chat room LGH Jetma sums it up quite adequately when he says, Williams get slammed too much. They've only had a terrible car this season. Last year, they still had a top 10 car. Right. Oh, right. As in top 10. Yeah. Okay. I get that. There's only 10 teams. That is the conceit there. Uh, Look, no, you are, you guys are looking at this all wrong. They don't have a business model based on scoring world championship points and picking up constructors money. Now, what is the aim of the game for all of these F1 teams? It is money. They have to balance the books and you can do that in two ways. You can do it by winning races and scoring championship points or you can do it by selling your soul completely to pay drivers now i think that the williams business model is completely based around selling seats to drivers selling three formula one seats because i am told that williams makes a profit so this isn't a team that is scrabbling around trying to you know get every last bit of sponsorship to convert that into lap time now this has been confirmed for me around the signing of their third driver next season which is Nicholas Latifi now Claire Williams came out and started talking about and this is the big giveaway talking about Latifi being given the 360 experience of being in an F1 team they are literally selling the experience of being an F1 driver in a team, learning about the team, they're selling that scholarship and apprentice, apprenticeship. Now, when you look at the business model from this season, they took all the money from Stroll. They took all the money from Sorokin. There was more money available this year from the Russell deal with Mercedes and from Kubica and the money from Latifi. Kyle, they have succeeded entirely in their plan of turning a profit by selling their assets. And actually, given that they've done that, they've taken two of the worst drivers on the grid and still had a race team that was battling. They were, they were up there. Um, well, they weren't exactly up there. So you're basically saying they're the Dell boys of the pit lane. Um, I also heard they were selling uh, lawnmower engines out the back of the paddock oh for a quick profit. Oh, my God, that's the funniest episode of any television series ever. Go and search Only Fools and Horses lawnmowers. So um, just to get back to some facts about race driving and points and like you know the formula one world championship i've dealt with nothing defend- but facts nothing i was but defending facts. mclaren by saying they'd doubled their score from the previous year which yeah. shows a progression now if you were to take williams total points from this year and multiply it by 10 they'd still have 13 points fewer than the previous season so that's how badly they did what, they- what, what no hang on no because look at that look how many constructors uh, dollars did they lose from losing places in the championship. That was far outweighed by what they collected in driver's seat fees. If you're if you're correct in that the... I don't know, Matt's the rule maker here. If the aim of this game is which Formula One team made the most profit, then may, maybe you're right. But all I'm seeing is uh, seven points versus 83 from the previous season and 10th place. They're five places further back in the Constructors' Championship than the previous season. They are dropping badly or have dropped all the way to the back all the way to the bottom. Maybe Marcus Ericsson should have joined them. So at the bottom of the sea right now in terms of performance. Uh, Trumpets, I'll just defend that. First of all, you are talking about a team that got Lance Stroll 
onto a podium. That makes this the second best car after the 2008 Ferrari that saw Felipe Massa nearly win a blinking world driver championship. Trumpets, this is one of the greatest Grand Prix cars on the planet. Well, it's interesting because they only dropped one driver from last season to this season. And yet they shed all those additional points. And as much as you like, might very much like to just mock and make fun of Lance Stroll, uh, he did get a podium. Exactly. Because of this year, not this year, which argues rather strongly that the fault might even lie elsewhere from the two drivers in the team, I'd have to say. He fluked a podium when everyone else crashed. That doesn't say a great deal. Kyle. Yeah, um, well, apart from being absolutely abysmal and clearly the worst team, Williams or the Williams driver did win one thing this year, and that was they won the award for most positions picked up on the first lap, which was actually Lance Stroll. And it was the best with 36. So that's probably the only thing they won this year. There you go. Phil Pot. No, no, Brad, you're on mute at the moment, but Carl makes a, a great point. That, that car rocketed off the line. It was the most dynamic first lap driver car combat. This hurts. Driver car combination out there. So there's a way you can work out how bad someone is at qualifying. Um, and how underperforming they are as a qualifying driver. And that way is to look at how many positions they gain on the first lap. Because uh, Lance Stroll obviously was so bad in qualifying that he was able to make up loads of positions and kind of get roughly back to where the car should be uh, after lap one. Uh, so yeah, anyway, yeah, Stroll is rubbish. Williams are rubbish. Uh, were rubbish this year. It's just, it's just an absolute dire dire team dire situation this is all bad wait, wait a minute wait a minute right okay you you want to give me facts about driver ability and points and positions i give you this what other team principal has been able to spin the position of their hiring policy better than claire williams time after time she stood in front of a camera for two seasons in a row now and said that Lance Stroll was there on merit and was a fast, competent driver. Trumpets, as a business director, as a saleswoman, Claire Williams is top of the team principal league. Uh, I'll go you one further. Their hiring of Kubica for next year is the best thing that they could have. It's brilliant tactics from a narrative point of view. And I have to interject, from the chat room, Chris Fonseca kind of agreeing with Bradley when he says, breaking news, Mercedes engine at the back of the grid can pick up places. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, no, rubbish. Yeah, that is a really weak point. All right. So now we get to the point where we have to place this on the magnificent board of awesomeness. And I suggested that because all throughout these three reviews, I have been the arbiter of where the team goes. And I should, again, be able to decide that. Matt with his boring sense of fairness and et cetera, et cetera, has dived in and said, that's not fair. So we agreed that Kyle would be the final arbiter. So Kyle, bearing in mind whether you want to ever come back on Missed Apex podcast again, I am going to put, I am going to put Williams, why not, third, yeah, on the board. How does that stand in your final judgment? I, I want third above Haas. About seven places higher than I was going to place them. Okay, well, let's make this a bit of a negotiation, a bit of back and forth. So I'm going to open with third. Uh, you know, so, you know, if you want to haggle, maybe you go tenth. down 10th. 10th. 
above Renault, below Renault, sorry. You're going to put Williams below Renault. Definitely below Renault. Definitely below Renault. And that's your final word on the matter. Trumpets, come on, try and try and talk some sense into him. Well, I was, since this is my game and I made up all the rules, going to point out that there's nothing that means that you're limited to just putting them 10th. You could put them 12th or 15th if you like. Uh, Oh, no. I mean, that's technically true. So pick any position you want. Well, in that case, it's 13th. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a blow. I tried my best. Some will argue that I didn't put up a, a good a defence as Bradley when he was defending McLaren. And some people will argue I didn't put up as good a defence as Kyle did when he was trying to do, you know, defend Renault. But I tried my absolute best. So provisionally, Williams are on 13th spot on the magnificent thing of what's it? Well, I think this is now the Kyle Power testimonial podcast. It's been a great run, Kyle. We've enjoyed having you on the podcast. Let's have a look at our final provisional positions. And then what do you think, Matt? We have a bit of a discussion. People have got one last chance to try and shove things up or down? Yeah, I love that plan. All right. So, so far, number one is Ferrari. Number two, Mercedes. Number three, Haas. Number four, Force India. Five, Red Bull, six, Sauber, seven, McLaren, eight, Toro Rosso, nine, Renault, and 13th, Williams. Okay, so I'm going to start off first. If I've got my my one team that I'm going to try and just shove up just a tiny little bit, you guys just vote yes or no, and we'll do it like that. Now, I have to say, this is very reminiscent of how things happen in engineering. And as a more practical-based guy, I often try and come up with a simple solution. And the clever people who went to university come up with all these grids and arguments. And you throw up results and you go, that doesn't look right. And it doesn't. It never works. It's, it's a terrible idea. People who went to uni are weird. Uh, but we're going to trust this system and Matt's format. So I would like to push Red Bull up from fifth to fourth above Force India because Red Bull held it together for the whole season and Force India were two different teams. I am a full, uh, fan of both teams. I would like to swap those. Matt, yes or no? I go yes, if for nothing else, they didn't go out of business halfway through the season. Kyle? Yeah, I'll go with that. Oh, there we go. So Brad doesn't even need a vote, but which way would you have gone? I would have said yes. Oh, there we go. So Red Bull promoted to fourth place. Who would like to go next to argue for a change in that board? Let's have a look. Kyle, where, what would you what would you like to change on this magnificent board? I believe my beloved Renault should go ahead of McLaren and Williams. You don't you don't have to defend them anymore. That was only last week. You are you you really want them to go above above who? Uh I want them to go above McLaren and Williams. Okay, so McLaren, yeah. All right. So you want Renault to jump two places up to up to 7th. Wow. No, okay. Ninth. No, that's a hard no from me. I want Renault to stay where they are. M- Matt um, I wouldn't go two places. Ooh, interesting. Phil Pot? I'm a bit bemused that they're so low, so I'll give them a vote. Go on. Oh, well, yeah. they, well I think, I think they, I think that counts. I think they go up two. They go above McLaren. All right. This is some very difficult copy and pasting to go on. So Matt, if you could make your suggestion last quite a long time so I can copy and paste things around, that would be great. Yes. Well, I will happily make my suggestion. And my suggestion will be that we should put Haas where I said they should have been all along, which is first for the very, very incredibly defensible reason that 
with the least resources, they have far and away achieved the most. They've attracted a big money name sponsor. They've had excellent results. Their car in qualifying was a half step faster than any other midfield car. They actually outqualified a Red Bull at one race. And no other midfield team has come close to showing that kind of form. Admittedly, as a young team, they still have some process issues to iron out. But I think if you look at dollars spent to uh, result achieved, they were the best on the grid this year, bar none. Was that enough time? You want to put them first. All right. Let's see. Kyle, your vote. Should Haas move up above Mercedes and Ferrari? I can't do it. I think they're an equal third. Uh, last week, I would have called Trumpets absolutely bonkers. But now having seen the predicted budgets of them, Haas yes. had the lowest budget with Force India. So I think third is is spot on for them. And I can't see them going any higher. Because let's face it, they didn't build their own car, did they? Phil Pop, email, no. emails to Kyle Power at Apex. Don't bother Spanners. I don't agree with Matt. No. They're gonna, so you, not even a single place? Not even above Mercedes? They're going to stay third? I thought we were just voting yes or no. Yeah, that's right. No, good point. You're absolutely right. Point of order, well noted. Uh, Brad, do you have a suggestion? And also, chat room, if you want to nominate something, quickly make your case now, and I might throw it to a, a panel vote. Brad, who would you like to change? I'd like to move Mercedes in front of Ferrari into first. They are a stronger team. They are a nicer team. They are more constructive, and they did the job when it counted, despite not having a rules veto, despite not having money regardless of where they finish in the Constructors' Championship, and despite not having two World Championship uh, winning drivers on their books. So Mercedes were better than Ferrari, and they are better than Ferrari, and they should be first. Oh, trumpets. It's a straight swap. Do you vote yes or no, Mercedes, to jump ahead of Ferrari? I'm going to... This is weird because I agree with everything Brad says, but I'm going to say no anyway, because my standards for judging that are based more on narrative and drama than they are on like, you know, actual just points and functioning and efficiency. Without Ferrari, this would have been a snooze. And with again, again, if it comes down to one thing, Raikkonen won a race. So there you go. Job done. I'm going to vote with Brad on all his points and say yes which leaves it down oh my gosh after all this it comes down to kyle i've got a renault t-shirt how are we how is this all come down to someone who owns a renault t-shirt okay well that's the system we created so kyle edgy power how do you vote yes or no mercedes to overtake ferrari it's a resounding yes oh, it has to be well, it has go. to be Ferrari dropped the ball so many times during the year on the strategy. And let's face it, Kimi Räikkönen won a race. It just shows that Ferrari had the best car and Mercedes still beat them. How many Mercedes drivers threw the car off the track whilst in a dominant winning position, whilst leading the championship, no real pressure to, to you know, keep pushing? It just didn't happen. Mercedes is just better. Uh, and that never happened to Ferrari. The vote's over, guys. It's done. Uh, there is one last chat room nomination. Uh, where is it? Uh, Phil? He's nominated uh, Lola to overtake Williams as well. I think, yeah, I think we probably can. We probably can put that on there, can't we? Uh, that's a, a yes yeah. for me, guys. Yes for me. Yeah, stick stick Lola on there. I love that. Nineteen ninety seven, the Mastercard sponsorship in the square car. Ever. I can't. I can't find. Where's the full name of that team? 
It was MasterCard Lola, wasn't it? It was MasterCard Lola, and they had the mighty Ricardo Rosset. Yeah, Ricardo Rosset. Who was the other driver? Tase Marquez? Maybe. They, did, they didn't start the race. <laughs> okay, well, there we go, guys. It's over. Hang on, we play the podium music. The magnificent board of awesomeness has concluded. Missed Apex's three-part season review is over, and here is the final standings. In 13th place is Williams. In 10th place is Mastercard Lola from the 90s. In 9th place, I believe, I've lost track a little bit, but I think it's Toro Rosso. In 8th place is McLaren. 7th place, Renault made a late jump against my will up to 7th place. Sauber, after a robust defence from Carl Power, are in 6th. The culmination of Force India and Racing Point are in 5th place. Red Bull sneak into the top 4. Haas, despite a dogged defence from Matt Trumpets, end up 3rd. And then a big battle, a huge split amongst the missed Apex panel. Ferrari a 2nd, but the winners on the magnificent Board of Awesomeness this year are the World Constructors Championship champions, Mercedes. I, the chat room points out that we completely left out the safety car in this. So perhaps the safety car should be first and everyone moves down a spot and can't move position till it comes in. I think everyone would be happy to have the safety car go in at, uh, 11th or 12th with Williams still at 13th. So that that's that's fine. In fact, no, they've got the medical car to go in there as well. So uh, I've lost track, but I'm pretty sure Williams lose another place. 14th. All right, we will publish the results on Twitter. Matt, it's been a fantastic season. It's taken us several episodes, maybe even 50, to sum it up. However, you, sir, only have 60 seconds. It's time for the season in 60 seconds. Lights out, Australia. Hamilton leads. Wheels off at Haas. Virtual safety car. Vettel pits. Vettel out ahead of Hamilton. Vettel wins. Bahrain. Vettel leads. Both RBs out without hitting each other. Raikkonen runs over mechanic. Vettel wins. China. Vettel leads. Botas undercuts and leads. Toro and Rosso crash each other out. Safety car. Red Bulls pit. Verstappen hits Vettel. Ricciardo wins. Azerbaijan. Vettel leads. Red Bulls crash each other out. Safety car. Vettel locks up. Botas puncture. Hamilton wins. Spain. Hamilton leads. Grosjean takes out Hulkenberg and Gasly. Verstappen hits Stroll. On track. Hamilton wins. Monaco. <laughs> Ricciardo leads. Ricciardo's engine fails. Ricciardo wins anyway. Canada. Vettel leads. Checkers. Oops. Race not done. Vettel wins. France, Hamilton leads. Vettel hits Botas. Hamilton wins. Reichen in third. Austria, Botas leads. Botas retires. Hamilton retires. Verstappen wins. Britain, Botas and Vettel get Hamilton. Reichen in hits Hamilton. Vettel gets Botas. Vettel wins. Germany, Vettel leads. Rain, Vettel crashes. Hamilton wins. Hungary, Hamilton leads. Botas hits Vettel. Botas hits Ricky Otter. Hamilton wins. Belgium, Vettel gets Hamilton. Hulkenberg sends Alonso flying. Vettel wins. Italy, Reichen in leads. Vettel hits Hamilton. Vettel spins. Hamilton gets Reikkonen, Hamilton wins, Singapore, Hamilton leads with trick wheels, Verstappen gets Botas for second, Hamilton wins, Russia, Botas leads, Botas lets Hamilton by, Hamilton wins, Japan, Vettel starts, Vettel spins, Hamilton wins, USA, Vettel starts, Vettel spins, Reikkonen wins, wait, what? Mexico, Vettel starts, Vettel doesn't spin, Verstappen wins, Hamilton champion, surprise, not really. Brazil, Hamilton leads, Verstappen gets Hamilton, Ocon really gets Verstappen, Hamilton wins, Mercedes world champions, Abu Dhabi, wait, did something happen? Hulkenberg goes flying, Hamilton pits early, Hamilton wins, I need a drink. Okay, another drink. <laughs>
Whose fault is it? That's not the right bumper, but that took so long that I went outside for a bit and then I came back and pressed the wrong button. Was it Was it good? It was mega. I can't wait to listen back. Uh, we, you do have one more job though, Matt. You're not just the racing 475 seconds guy. You are also the comment of the week guy. Shall I go ahead and click that bumper? Yeah, sure. Comment of the week. It's been a really busy chat room and it has been all season. I'd just like to take this opportunity to say thank you very much to everyone who has interacted with us, not only here in the chat room, but also in Twitter, in our Slack group, in our Facebook group. It really does make the whole thing seem less mad. It can at times feel like I'm talking in a shed on my own and I'm sure Matt can sometimes feel like he's just in a study talking to some strange British bloke and uh, it doesn't feel real until we get all those interactions back. Every one of them has made this really, really great. And we love getting the direct messages from you guys as well. My DMs are always open, and they will be throughout the off-season. And you can friend me on Facebook by uh, searching Spanners Ready and just sending me a message on there. There's been loads of people who just got in touch uh, just for a casual chat. Emails are fine, but when you get an instant message, you can just sit there and have a little back and forth. And that's cool too. But Matt, which one of the interactions in this particular forum is this week's comment of the week? Uh, Brad, do you have a comment of the week? I just wanted to throw one in into the ring. Um, Usman Salim with Philpot wrong again. You you want to nominate that, or do you want to strike that from the record? Oh, I was going to just chuck that in as a potential winner. <laughs> okay, good. All right, yeah, I think that is a strong contender. How are you go going though, Matt, for your your nominations? Um, well, I think we can start with Lance Lassen at the start of the show when we were still sorting things out, um, saying. Uh, regarding your appearance on the live stream not as soft as joe was uk internet must be better than france um we can go on to mark Greenhow. mclaren would still be last if hrt were still racing which ouch mark michael brown with ericsson is hardly sakon yamamoto bruce wayne in with a simple turning off and on again should fit should fix robotus.exe for next season <laughs> very techy Indeed, very techie. Uh, Sam Watley with Claire Williams is the only thing keeping McLaren out of the comedy spot. Um, one of my personal favorites. An European in with Spanners finding good things about Williams looks like he got a phone call from Putin. No, that was of my own accord. I believe all those things until the end of the show. How dare you, sir? All right. And uh, he's keeping with European uh, second contender Williams to announce using Piaggio Vespa engines in 2019. Are you just reading all the comments? No, I've got two to go. Williams, again from European, Williams run on alternative facts, which in context was very funny. And then finally, Sam Watley in with Claire, quote, we don't have pay drivers. Spanners, okay, maybe drivers is a bit strong. <laughs> Who was that? That was Sam Watley. Oh, okay, let's, let's give it him. Let's give that to, to utter shambles. Let's do that. Uh, read it again for us, mate. All right. Uh, Claire Williams, we don't have pay drivers. Spanners, okay, maybe drivers is a bit strong. Comment of the week. The end of a fantastic season, Carl. Quickly, where do you want people to internet stalk you? Um, I'm still a dinosaur and I'm not on Twitter, so I'm on YouTube. Uh, if you're really bored, you can go and uh, watch some of my karting videos and me talking a lot of nonsense in my helmet as I'm racing. Um, and I'm also on Facebook. That's about it. Philpot. Follow me on Twitter at Bradley Philpot. 
Search Bradley Philpot on YouTube if you'd like to learn how to drive the Nürburgring. It's far away, so you better think about it. There's a lot of travel involved in that. Trumpets? You can find me at MattPT55 on the Twitters as usual. And you can find me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. Your Patreon support really does keep us going. So go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. If you'd buy us a pint, why not consider becoming a two or five dollar patron? And we will do an ad free feed for our patrons as well. I really appreciate the support we've had for the adverts as well, because nobody's yelled at us or called us terrible things for it. The ACAST model, I think, was the best fit because you'll get an advert that's based on where you are at least. And if you do get something that's useful that that you act upon, why not tweet the sponsor and say that Missed Apex sent you? Until next time, guys, and there will be a next time, we're going to be with you all throughout the off-season. Remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Missed Apex Podcast, the show that the weather can only slightly spoil by knocking out one of our internet services. But tell you what, we wouldn't have had two if it wasn't for the support we have. So that's why we were able to go and run out and quickly flick it over and carry on with the show. We we are supported and lifted, and that is why we can carry on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial. 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.